And today I want to talk to you about a faith that seeks wisdom. A faith that seeks wisdom. Last week we talked about uh, a faith that seeks maturity, that, that looks at trials in a very different way, that looks at trials in a way to say that God is good, God is working through all things, God is working through this thing, and so I will have joy as I encounter this trial. And it's with that same mindset that we continue uh, to look here at the idea of a faith that seeks wisdom, that seeks wisdom. Now, let's see, Sunday school, Sunday school questions, here we go. Who is the wisest man that ever lived? Solomon, right? Solomon. Solomon, God, he asked God for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. And it says that Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived. We could argue, well, that was before Jesus. Okay, you've got a good argument there. Jesus is always a Sunday school answer that usually works. Um, I'm surprised someone didn't yell out Jesus. But, but Solomon, we know from the Old Testament that Solomon was a man of great wisdom. He is known as the wisest man to have ever lived because he asked God for wisdom. Look at our text. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If, let, actually, let me begin at verse 2. 5 through 8 is where we're going to look, but th- this all connects together. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fa- meet various trials, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. Pray with me. Father, we ask right now for your wisdom, the wisdom of your words through the Scriptures. Lord, would you, would you make us wise? Father, would you give us a faith that seeks to know wisdom, that seeks to know you, that seeks to know your truth as we face various trials throughout life. Father, may we look to you. May we understand your word. May we hear your spirit. May we hear from your people speaking your words to us that we may be guided in wisdom, Father. May we seek true wisdom. May we have a faith that desires that. Help us now as we seek to do this, as we gather before to hear from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, a a little bit of context. If we remember, James was the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. He was the lead pastor there. Church history tells us this. Acts tells us this. And the church has fallen under persecution. The church has fallen under persecution, and if you look up in, in verse 1, he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, and which is kind of code for they have all been scattered because of this persecution. And so this letter is going out to people who are undergoing a serious trial. 
They are undergoing persecution. They have lost their home. Some have undoubtedly lost their lives. They are scared. They don't know what to do. Their pastor is not with them. We don't know how scattered they are. Maybe it's just families scattered all over and they can't really communicate. They can't really get together. It's interesting. This book is regarded by many, and I think there's a good argument for it, as one of the earliest books of the Bible to be written. As one of the earliest books of the Bible to be written. And so you have to remember that James is writing to people that don't have the full canon of the New Testament like we do. He's writing to people who have the Old Testament... And they have heard testimonies of Jesus. The Spirit is working in powerful and mighty ways during this period and this time. And these are a people that are scattered and they don't know what to do. And so James first writes and he says, in this trial, when you meet various trials, it doesn't just apply to them, it applies to us as well. When you meet various trials, count it all joy. Count it on joy. Why? Because we know that God loves us. We know that God is working through the trials to grow us, to make us more like him. And then James follows with this idea of wisdom. And so the idea kind of is, if you can't count it all joy, ask God for wisdom. We should be asking God for wisdom all the time. A lot of times we rip this passage out of its context because it is true and it's good and there is application here that that covers all areas of life and we'll talk about this that our need for wisdom but realize that in the context here James is writing to a group that are undergoing severe persecution severe trials the hardest thing that we could probably imagine going through and they don't know what to do and so the good pastor writes to comfort his people. That's one of the reasons I love James so much. It's such a pastoral letter. This is a pastor writing to his people, knowing that they're having a hard time. How, do I, how, how can I help you get through this difficult season? How can I point you to Christ? How can I point you to God? How can I point you to truth? How can I see a faith that works in you and through you, even during such a hard time? That's what we find when we come to the book of James. And so here we see today, he, at, he, he tells them not only to seek a faith that, that seeks, to have a faith that seeks maturity, that wants to grow, that welcomes trials because we know what God is doing, but also a faith that seeks wisdom. A faith in God that we know that God possesses all wisdom and that's what we need. We need God's wisdom. So what is wisdom? Let's think about this for a moment before we jump in. What is wisdom? And there's, there's lots of ways that you may have heard this spoken of. You know, wisdom is, is not just knowledge, but, it, but internalized. It's truth. Wisdom comes from God. There's lots of ways that we can talk about it. I want to I talk about wisdom in the way that we, um, that, we, that we technically talk about types of knowledge and, and how knowledge works. And so in, in the studies of education, psychology, neurology, uh, even in behavioral science, we talk about wisdom, we talk about, we talk about knowledge in, in three ways, okay? There is cognitive knowledge. That's facts. That's, that's knowledge. That's me um, telling you that this pulpit is made out of oak, that's knowledge, right? We, we have learned something. We know something. That is knowledge. 
Knowledge doesn't necessarily affect how we live, though. Because this pulpit's made of oak, does it change your daily life? Does it change the way in which you listen to the sermon? Do you go, oh, that's made of oak. The pastor must be really good. No! It doesn't, it doesn't do anything like that. That is cognitive knowledge. Now, we need that kind of knowledge. We need facts. We need to understand things. We need truths. We need our minds to be filled with these things. But they don't necessarily change the way we think. They don't necessarily change the way we feel. And they don't change the way we act. And so there's more to knowledge than just facts. Okay? Another way we talk about knowledge is affective, our affections. The reason that you think about something in the way you do is tied to what you know about it. Okay? Who likes snakes? Just a couple people. Most of us think snakes are gross, icky, dangerous. Okay? We don't want to say, I was walking out the church the other day and a black snake went in front of me and I squealed. I'll tell you right now. I squealed. I don't like snakes. I don't care if it's a little baby black snake that could never do anything to me, won't do anything to me, doesn't think, I think it's going to kill me, okay? That's the way I think about snakes. You see, the way that we react, the way we feel is affected by what we know, isn't it? The way we think about something, the way we think about something. So there's an effective way that we think about something. There's also a behavioral way that we think about something. So if we, if we have the knowledge that if we do something, it produces this that we want to do, that, that we want, then we do that. If we, if we know that if we do this and, and this happens and we don't want that, then we stay away from that. See, it's, it's, it's all kind of connected when we think about knowledge. Well, I want to say this. Wisdom, true wisdom, can be thought of in the same way. True wisdom is seeking God because he is the source of true knowledge, right? He has created everything. He's over everything. Who can contemplate the mind of God? Who can contemplate the things of God? Science and all of its wonder and all of its maturity that we have right now knows so little. And if you don't think that's true, go to the doctor with a complicated problem. And they'll tell you, we just don't know. God knows. Because all we see, all we experience, all that we are, God has created. God has ordained. God has put into place. And so he is the true source of wisdom, the true source of true knowledge. And so if we think about wisdom from this standpoint, think about it. True wisdom, if we, if we know wisdom, wisdom includes knowledge, right? We, we know facts. We know the things that God wants us to know. It's true. But not only that, true wisdom changes our heart. It changes the way we feel about something. If we know that God has said this is true and we love God, then we accept that and it changes the way that we feel about those things, right? This is, this is, this is Jesus speaking in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. It should change our affections if it's true wisdom and third true wisdom should change our actions it's behavioral isn't it if we know something is true and we accept that and it changes the way we feel about something then our actions should follow with that that's true wisdom that's what we need we need god's 
wisdom. If we want to be hearers, not only hearers, but doers of the Word, as James is going to write, then we need true wisdom from God. We need to seek true wisdom. We need to say, God, teach me your ways. Teach me to love your ways. And teach me to do your ways. That's when we have true wisdom, when it affects all of our being. All of our being. So here's a question. Where can we get that kind of wisdom? Where can we get that? I would hope that all of us would say, I want that kind of wisdom. I want a life that knows God, that knows his truth, that loves his word, that loves his truth, that wants to do his will. And I want to be one that actually does those things, right? We all want to say that, I hope. So how do we get that wisdom? How do we get that wisdom? The answer James tells us is very similar to how Solomon got it. We ask God. We ask God. So the first thing I want us to see here is we have to acknowledge our need. We have to acknowledge our need. Look at the language that James uses here. If any of you lacks wisdom. Now this is kind of a a funny statement, isn't it? Because we all lack wisdom. The funny thing about wisdom is the people that know they need it are the ones that can admit that they don't have it. If any of you lacks wisdom. Wisdom. To acknowledge our need means we have to first confess our limitations. We have to understand and know that we are limited. And one of the ways that this happens is during a difficult trial, during various trials, isn't it? It is those moments that shake us, those moments that test us, those moments that come out of nowhere, the storms of life. when we very quickly realize I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Isn't it? It's those times that James is writing to to his people here that we experience, that we see this also. I don't know what to do. And so we acknowledge our need. We acknowledge the need that, that, that we can't do this. The second thing that we have to do is we have to acknowledge our dependence. We have to acknowledge our dependence. God, I don't know what to do, and I need you. And I need you. When we go through various trials, do we get to that point? To where we say, I can't do this, I don't know. God, I need you. If any of you lacks wisdom, lack, the word lack means to be destitute. It means to not have any resources. God, I, I don't know what to do here. Are you able to admit that before God? Many of us are proud, self-sufficient people. And I think God allows many trials, at least in my life in the past, has allowed many trials just to get me to this point to where I turn to Him. To where I realize in my weakness... He's made strong. That I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to take care of everything. The Lord is my shepherd. He takes care of me. And I trust in Him. That is faith. That is a faith that seeks wisdom. So the first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge that we need wisdom, that we don't know what to do. The second thing this text tells us, we acknowledge that we need wisdom that we lack wisdom, 
And so what do we do? We ask God for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God. Um, the first thing we see about this is that asking God for wisdom, this is, this is a synonym for prayer. I think we all understand this. Ask God for wisdom means to pray to ask God for wisdom, to, to, to approach God in prayer, to realize, I can't do this. I'm at the end. I don't know what to do. And to turn and say, God, I need your wisdom here. I need you to help me. And so uh, the, the word here, ask, uh, there's, two, there's two things here, not to get too technical, but there's, there's two things. The first is that this is a present tense verb. This is a continual asking is the idea. This is, this is when you are facing various trials as a person with faith in God, with faith in Jesus Christ, I would hope that we would quickly acknowledge our need and we would turn to God continually and say, I need your wisdom here. Not just a quick prayer, but a intentional Focusing on God to help you through whatever the trial is. God, I don't know what to do in this relationship. God, I don't know what to do about my finances now that this change has come. God, I don't know what path to take with this diagnosis. A continual prayer and dependence upon God. Not just, not just quickly passing over it and moving back onto yourself. That's self-sufficiency, right? And we do that sometimes. We, we kind of flippantly say, okay, God, show me. All right, now let's look over this. Um, and I'm not saying that we don't have to take action, but are you earnestly seeking God for wisdom? There's a difference, isn't there? Are you seeking God for wisdom? Are you looking for Him to spiritually illuminate to guide you, to show you. And, and how does God show us wisdom? There's three primary ways. First of all, through his word. Through being in his word, through knowing his word. His word is truth. His word is wisdom. The second way that he does it often is through his people. Through godly people. This is why I hope you have close friendships with godly people. This is why I hope that you're involved in a small group context in some way. People that you can get closer with than just on Sunday morning. People that you can know and love and are praying for you and with you. And you can say, I've got this going on. And God will use them in your life and speak to you through them so often. And the third way is through His Spirit. He will give us guidance. He will give us comfort. He will help us with decisions. He will make things align in such a way that you know God is working here. Okay, he will do these things. We are to seek him continually. The second is that this word ask is one of our imperatives, one of our bossy words in James, one of the things to tell us to do. This is a command. This is a command. When you lack wisdom, when you come to the point in your life, when you undergo trials and you say, I don't know what to do, you as a person of faith, you as a Christian, you are to come to God and ask. This is a command. It's not just a suggestion. We are to look to God. If we understand and have faith and believe that He is true, that He loves us, that He knows all things, that, that we are His, then we are to come to Him. We are commanded to go to God and ask Him for wisdom. 
Now that helps us. We don't feel like we're, like we're barging in. We don't feel like, you know, God, I, I know this might be a small thing to you, but that's not it. God says, come to me. That's what he's writing through James. Come and ask God for wisdom. When you don't know the answer, when trials are coming, when questions are coming, when you don't know what to do, when the, sometimes, sometimes the hardest thing is when we have three good-looking choices in front of us, right? Have we faced that? You know, all three of these things could be good. There's not sin involved. I don't know what to do. Go to God and ask for His wisdom. Ask for His wisdom. So our text tells us first that we must acknowledge our need for wisdom. Second, we must uh, ask God for His wisdom. Go to Him in prayer. And third, I want us to see that James puts some conditions on here on how we ask. We need to approach without doubting. We need to approach God without doubting. Um, look at verse 6. Verse 6, James writes, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For, the, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and is unstable in all of his ways. James here makes a distinction between a faithful prayer that anticipates and expects God to grant wisdom and a doubting prayer. And a doubting prayer to which the one who prays should not assume that there will be an answer. Now, a faithless prayer... There's a few ways that we do faithless prayers. I want to, I want to give you examples here. First of all, um, a, a doubtful prayer. A doubtful prayer often comes because we don't know how to pray according to God's will. Because we don't know how to pray according to God's will. So we pray for ourselves. We come to God like, like, you know, he's grandpa, and we drop hints that we'd like a dollar. <laughs> right? I, I did this with my grandpa. I mean, I, I just did. I remember as a kid manipulating my grandparents. You know, I'd just come up and be like, man, you know, my bike, it's, it's in pretty rough shape. I need a bike. That's how I get to school. And, you know, the kids are making fun of me because of my bike. It's got a flat tire. It, it doesn't pedal anymore. You know, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We pray like that often, don't we? We don't pray according to God's will. We pray according to ourselves. A lot of times we don't understand the way that God works. We don't understand his will. Um, here, here's an illustration, okay? This is Veggie Tales, all right? Dave and the giant pickle. At the end of the episode, um, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the word for the day pops up from the Bible, and it's, it's Matthew 19.26. With God, all things are possible. And Larry Boy pops up and says, oh, great. Because I always wanted to be a chicken. Do you think God would turn me into a chicken? And Bob says, no, 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 no. That's not what the verse means. It doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want to do. It means that anything God wants us to do, we can do. A lot of times we pray in a way that is not according to God's will. And then we feel cheapened. We feel like, God, you didn't answer my prayer. You don't answer prayers. 
And so we can have a prayer of doubt when we put ourselves in that kind of a thought process, when we pray not praying according to God's will. Now, I'm not telling you not to pray big prayers. I'm not telling you if the Lord has laid something on your heart to pray for, to, to pray for it, but pray according to God's will. Pray and say, Lord, this is what I would like to see. This is where I think that you're pointing. But if you don't do it, I'll love you. I'll still follow. Don't, don't put blind faith where you don't know God's will is. And often we do it because we're praying only according to our will. So that's one way that we can, can do a prayer that, that is a prayer of doubt. Another way that we can have doubtful prayers is that we forget how God answers prayer. Okay? And I don't want to sound too much like a cliche, but God answers prayers in three ways. He says, yes. He says, no. And he says, wait. We forget about the wait part. We forget about the wait part. And so what will happen is, is we're praying. And we don't see an answer from God. And so we get jaded in our hearts to where we start praying prayers that we know we don't believe. And we're just giving lip service to it. Do you see how that could happen? Do you see how that could be a, a, a doubtful prayer? Do you understand how we shouldn't expect an answer for the Lord if we're praying double-heartedly, the Scripture says like that? Um, there's, a, there's another way that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a doubtful prayer, and that is when if we pray for God's wisdom, but we have no intention to obey it. So often, we know what God's wisdom is. We know what God's Word is. But we know we're not going to do it. It reminds me of uh, St. Augustine in his confessions. Um, he was, he was, uh, he had a lady friend <laughs> in a relationship that he shouldn't have. And he records in his confessions the, 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 the sinfulness of his heart. And at one point he prays, Lord, make me chaste. Lord, make me pure sexually. But not today. <laughs> but not yet. It's kind of like the, I'm going to go on, I, I, I'm going to do a diet, okay? I'm going to start exercising, I'm going I'm to be healthy after Thanksgiving, <laughs> or, or after the New Year, or, or whatever. You know, we might have an intention that's good, but we're not willing to commit. Sometimes we pray to God like that, don't we? Sometimes we pray to God like that. Sometimes we test God. God, I'll do this, but only if you do this. So these are all prayers of doubt. These are doubtful prayers, not the faithful prayer, not the faithful seeking of wisdom that James is instructing us to do here. And, and it makes sense then how he explains this. If we pray in these ways, if we pray doubtfully in these ways, if we pray not according to God's will, if we pray in a way that we know we're not going to obey the answer that we get, if we pray in these ways, then we are like a wave in the sea that is tossed and driven by the wind. There is, there is no clear path for us. There's no clear path for us. There's no clear faith in us that we want to do God's will. And why would we expect that God would answer that? He knows our heart. 
He knows our intentions. He is not to be manipulated. And so we must pray with faith. We must not pray doubtless prayers. The fourth thing, we must anticipate an answer for God. If we come to God and we acknowledge our lack of wisdom, if we come to God and we ask him for wisdom, if we come to God and we do not pray in a way that that is doubtful, then we can anticipate that God will answer. This is good news. This is, this is amazing. We can know that God will give me wisdom. I don't have to wait and say, oh, he really doesn't want to. James says, no, he will give you wisdom. He will give you his wisdom. We need God's wisdom, right? Do you need God's wisdom? What are you undergoing right now? What decision is taking place? What thing in your life? What is your trial? Think and ask, if I had God's wisdom for this, it would make all the difference, wouldn't it? If I knew, it would make all the difference. And so James gives us a few words here in which we can anticipate that God will answer a sincere request for wisdom. First, we can anticipate it because of the generosity of God. Because of the generosity of God. It says here that God gives generously. He gives the answer. He gives generously for us. The the generousness of God, His generosity, is much like His love. It is an attribute of God. God is a giver. He is a giver of Himself. He is a giver of His Son. He is a giver of life. He is a giver. We should anticipate that God will give us good things. That if we come and we seek His wisdom, that He will give us His wisdom. He doesn't want to withhold. He doesn't say, ah, you know what? I'm really smart, and so I don't want you to, I don't want to make you as smart as me. So, has anybody, has anybody ever worked at a job? Okay, I've done this. And they start hiring people that are younger, have less experience, make half the money you do. And they say, will you train him so he can do the job just like you? And you know what's going on, right? They're not, you're not training him so that you can get a promotion. You're training your replacement at half your pay. How generous are we to share our knowledge in that situation? (laughs) God is not like that. God is not like that. He gives. Listen Listen to these other passages. Jesus affirms this. He says, if you then who are evil, okay, full of sin, know how to give good gifts to your children... Okay, we can look at our children and say, this would be good for you. This is something that you would like. This was something that would help you. If we who are sinful can do that for our children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, who is perfect, give good things to those who ask him? Ah, that's powerful, isn't it? Uh, listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8.32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously, how will he not, not also with him graciously give us all things? If you lack wisdom, acknowledge your need, go to God in faith. He will give generously. He will give generously. Second, we should anticipate because of the gentleness of God. Look at this expression here. It says, without reproach. God will generously answer our prayers for wisdom without reproach. That means without finding a fault in us. Now, I'm sure all of us have had these experiences where we go to someone, perhaps 
you had a father that was like this, perhaps a grandfather, perhaps somebody in your family or, or maybe a boss, and you would go to them and, and you would make a sincere request and say, I need this. And the response was, well, I'll do it this one time. Or, don't come and ask for this again. Only once have we had this answer before. This is not God. God doesn't come to us and say, you know what, Bob? You were in this same pickle last week and asked me, and I gave you wisdom then, and so now I'm not going to give it. That's not the way God works with us. Even if, he, even if we came to God and we asked for wisdom and we didn't follow through, God doesn't say, you know what? I tried it once with you and it didn't work. No, it says that if we come and we ask God for wisdom in faith, He is generous. He does not rebuke us. He does not hold our past sins against us. He is gracious. He loves us. And He will give us His wisdom. That's encouraging, isn't it? Isn't that encouraging? And the third thing here is anticipate an answer because of the grasp of your faith. Because of the grasp of your faith. Again, James contrasts a faithful prayer with a doubting prayer. And so the idea is if, if we come in faith, we know, we can have confidence that God will be gracious to us, that without, without any kind of discipline, without any kind of rebuke, without holding anything over us, if we come in, prayer, in faith, God will give us an answer to our prayers. But we have to come in faith. And so let me ask you a question. Do you have a genuine faith? in God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you have faith in what Scripture tells us about Christ, about who He was, about what He came and and what He did, about how God gave Him for our sacrifice, for the atonement of our sin? Have you confessed your need to be saved in Him? Have you exhibited the initial faith to become a Christian? That's the first thing you need to do if you want to seek God's wisdom. The first step is to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. Have you done that? The second step is that we, we have faith. We can pray in faith because we have a history of what God has done for us in the past. Our faith, our prayers today should be more faithful than they were years ago. As we've seen God work in our lives, as we trusted in Him, as we've called out in times and moments of weakness and trials before and said, Lord, I need your faith. Help me. Show me. Our faith is built in these moments. Our faith is built when we come and we trust God. How many times in your life have you done this? Have you gone to God and said, I need your wisdom? Have you felt his presence? Have you felt his peace? Have you felt his assurance? Have you had confidence in how to move forward because you see God opening door after door after door and you just keep walking down the path as you're seeking him? I hope you have. I hope this is the way that we are living our life, living a life of faith that seeks wisdom from God, that seeks wisdom from God. But I'm afraid too often we're more apt to go to Google than to God. Right? 
We're more apt to, when trials come, when tough times come, when we need wisdom, we go to Google, not to God. We try to figure it out for ourselves. Friends, let me ask you a question. Your struggle right now, because all of us are in one, have you asked God to show you His wisdom? Have you asked Him to show you His wisdom with what you're going through now? A genuine faith. James writes to us to encourage us that a genuine faith, the faith that we need, is a faith that seeks wisdom.